Thank you for being in church today. It's always a blessing to see God's people be faithful. In our uh, culture today, we are increasingly have become environmentally conscious. I remember when I was a child and we would be, uh, uh, if we were to drive and my dad had a pickup and, and uh, if we were driving to town or somewhere and my grandfather, if he had a bottle of pop or a bottle of water or something, when he was done with it, he would just fling it out the window into the ditch. Remember those days? I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying different times. Today, if you want to upset people, just walk down the street and start throwing trash aside and, and uh, you're going to be accosted very quickly because we don't do that. We are environmentally conscious. We're taught to recycle. We're taught to do things like that. And again, some of those things are very good. Uh, we have TV shows today about creative ways to uh, use of other people's garbage and junk and, and uh, restoring homes and makeovers of both homes and people. We're discouraged not to waste. We're, to, we're encouraged to salvage and to utilize what we can get our hands on. There's a lot made about recycling, taking what could be trash and making use out of it again, or repurposing, taking something that is not useful and making it useful for another purpose, or reconditioning, taking something old, remaking it, and having it serve its original purpose. And then there is remodeling. That is to take out of the old, whether it's a home or a car, and rebuilding it with modern amenities. And I ask you today, have you considered that God has been doing that very thing since the beginning of time? He recycles the worn out. He makes them accomplish great tasks for His glory. He repurposes the failures, and He calls them to a new purpose for Him. He reconditions the weary with new energy, his strength to do what others would view as impossible. He remodels a life, hallelujah, one that has been worn down by sin, and he rebuilds that person into a valuable vessel in his hands. Praise the Lord for what God does with broken people. And one of the most remarkable things about our God is who he uses and who he does this for. We've been looking at the friends of Jesus, and today I want to look at another man. You know him well. We've looked at different men as we go through this, and some women as well, that are not as well known, they are more obscure. Maybe even you've been introduced to some different characters in the Bible. But today's man, everybody knows, and everybody knows well. We have four lists of the apostles, of the twelve, in the New Testament and uh, one in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then one in Acts. And here's how the list appears in Luke. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealotus, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. In all four lists... The same twelve are named. And the, uh, or the order is quite instructive in the Bible. We're not going to go into all that today. But I will tell you this. The first name in every list is Peter. He's the first one listed. He is the one in the forefront. 
They lists are uh, arranged in different orders, but they're always arranged in sets of three. So three sets, I'm sorry, sets of four. Three times four is 12 still, I think. Uh, so three sets of four. You always had Peter at the head, and in his group of four, there was Andrew, James, and John. Then you had of the second group, Philip was always first, and in his group was Nathaniel, Matthew, and Thomas. And then the last group was led by James, the son of Alphaeus, and in his group was Simon the Zealot, Thaddeus, and Judas Iscariot. Now these twelve were an amazing, diverse group of people. And I want to start by reading our text here, John chapter 1, verse 41 and verse 42. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. When Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas. Now, just to let you know, Peter, as we'll find out, is a big character. And so I tried to figure out exactly what we would do and, and uh, trying to boil him down to one service. And I thought, well, I know nobody would mind if we would just go till 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we'll just cover his life. Or we can take several weeks. I think we're going to go with the several weeks route, okay? Uh, today, I want to look at Peter and his name. Peter and his name. Father, I pray you'd help us, challenge us in a special way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The twelve, as I said, are, were an amazing, diverse group. They covered the spectrum with their personalities and their backgrounds. Group one that we had where you have uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, really they're the only ones that are tied together by any commonality. They were all four fishermen, two sets of brothers. They'd lived together or close to each other and been friends probably their whole lives. Then you had different groups with which were within them were bitter rivals like Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. Simon the zealot at another time would have gladly murdered somebody like Matthew the tax collector. And so they, the others uh, came from unknown occupations, but don't ever make the mistake of looking at the disciples and thinking, wow, they were just such a loving, wonderful group of guys. Every night they would get around the campfire and they would sing Kumbaya and everything was wonderful. No, no, there was a lot of conflict. There was problems, there was struggles within this group, just like there is within any group of people. They had vastly differing personalities. Peter was aggressive. He was bold. He was outspoken. He had the habit of mouth in motion before brain is in gear. Have you ever had that happen to you? I think all of us have dealt with that a time or two. Uh, I know I have. When I was uh, 18 years old, the summer before college, I worked a job at a, at a restaurant called Hardee's. You might know where that is. It was in Missouri. And I worked with a, a fella called Dan, and uh, he and I turned out to be friends because we worked out together a lot there and we put in a lot of hours. And well, one of the things we hated was at night, just as you're closing, we would decide, okay, we're going to clean the grill 10 minutes early. And then some schmo comes through the drive through you know that person? And then we got to make mess it all up again. So one night we wanted to get gone. It was a, a Friday night, I think, and, and we wanted to get out of there. And so we had everything cleaned up and we were, it was about 10 minutes till closing. And I heard the, somebody come in the door and I looked through the side, uh, out to the front door and a lady had just walked in. Um, let's see this kindly, uh, robust, uh, portly. Okay. 
uh, healthy, corn-fed, however you want to say it. This lady was a little bit bigger, okay? And so I looked out the window and I said, oh, man. I said, somebody just walked in. And by the looks of it, she could order half the store. And my friend Dan said, yeah, that's my mom. She's my ride here to take me home. That was Peter. He had a foot-shaped mouth. I've dealt with that several times. You probably have too. John, on the other hand, spoke very little. In fact, in the first 12 chapters of Acts, he and Peter worked together, and there's not one word of John's recorded. Peter's many of them. Nathaniel was quick to have faith, and he was in the same group as Thomas, which was skeptical and doubted sometimes. Matthew, the tax collector, was considered to be the most despicable of them before Jesus called him. And then, as I mentioned, Simon the Zealot, he was a, a part of an outlaw political party who wanted to overthrow Rome and kill people to do it. They were all different. They had different backgrounds. But there's no question who is the leader. There's only one leader Every, anywhere you look, in any book that talks about him, Simon Peter was the leader. He was at the head of the group, and he is who I'd like to talk about this morning. Uh, his name was Simon, but Jesus gave him another name. Luke introduces him as Simon, whom he also named Peter in Luke 6.14. Now, the choice of words there is very important because it doesn't say he renamed him. It says he also named him Peter. In another place in the New Testament, it says that he gave him the surname of Peter. And so he also named him as Peter, and sometimes he was known as Simon, and sometimes he was known as Peter, and sometimes he was known as Simon Peter. Now, the word Peter means rock. Uh, it was given to him by Jesus, the text that we just read, in John 4, uh, 142, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Cephas was the Aramaic word for Peter. And from then on, rock was Peter's new name. Dwayne the Rock Johnson was not the first one to have that name, okay? He stole it from Peter. Now, the nickname was significant because Jesus, uh, he had a specific reason for choosing it. Uh, by nature, Simon was brash. He was vacillating. He was undependable. He tended to make great promises and not stick to them. Peter was the kind of guy that would start a project but never finish it. He would jump in wholeheartedly but then lose interest very fast. Uh, Jesus, when he met him, uh, I think Simon fit the description in the book of James, well, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Jesus changed Simon's name, though. And in so doing, he gave Peter something to live up to. And he called, uh, it's interesting, throughout the New Testament, we'll talk about this in a minute here, uh, if he called him Simon, it was a sign that he was doing things that were his old nature, his old self. And when he called him Peter, he was commending him for acting the way that he ought to be acting. I'm glad that when Jesus found us and he saved us, he gave us a new name. He gave us a new identity. Uh, we are given many names in the New Testament. There's Christian. Uh, that's used three times in the New Testament, uh, which means a follower of Christ. We are called disciples all throughout the uh, Gospels and Acts, and those are those who follow Jesus during uh, the ministry, but in greater way, a learner and a pupil. We all ought to be disciples. Uh, we're called brethren, which is a, has a concept of adoption, being put into the family of God. Uh, then there is a saint. For example, Ephesians was written to the saints at Ephesus. Now, I know everybody here knows that I'm a saint, but if you're a, if you're a Christian, you're a saint too, amen? That's a blessing. 
That was just a joke. I'm not trying to take on the sainthood. Go out here and it'll be in the newspaper. The Bible Baptist has sainted someone. Uh, but then there's a believer in Acts 5.14 that referred to as believer. That is uh, to entrust a thing to one. That's what the word believer means. And don't we entrust to the Lord Jesus Christ our very souls for eternity? So we entrust. We are believers. Now, here's the truth of the matter. The world may thrust all kinds of names on you. It might thrust on you the name loser or uh, worthless or failure or disappointment or insignificant. But when we come to Christ, we are giving a new identity. And when we come to Him, the Christian life now should be radically different than the old life because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, For Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That thing that used to define you, it is passed away. It is gone. It is taken away. And he's given you a new name. The problem is that so many times we act like our old name instead of our new name. We need to follow after the new identity Jesus Christ has given us. So, one interesting thing that we find in the study of Peter is something I had not noticed before I was working on this message, that whenever he started to act like his old self, the gospel writers and Jesus called him Simon. It's interesting. Notice that as you read through the New Testament from now on. Whenever he's called Simon, he's being a knucklehead. And whenever he's called Peter, he's doing something wonderful. For example, in Luke 5, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. That is, he's called Simon there because that's Simon the fisherman speaking. He is skeptical. He is reluctant. But praise the Lord, he obeys anyway. And then his eyes are open to who Jesus is after that great catch of fish. And immediately, Luke begins calling him by a different name. Just a verse later, in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down by Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one. And foretelling Jesus, uh, Jesus was foretelling Peter's betrayal. He said to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Later in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter was supposed to be praying with Jesus, and instead he fell asleep, Jesus came back to him and said, Simon, sleepest thou? Could thou not watch with me one hour? So, un so usually when Peter needed rebuke or reprimand, Jesus referred to him as Simon. The same thing was probably true in your house like it was mine. Did your mother ever call you by your full name, middle included? You knew you were probably in trouble. If I was at home and I was doing going about my business and I heard from another room, my mother, which is now such a soft-spoken, sweet lady, no one knows what I went through when I was being raised. Uh, and she is, because she's so nice and kind. But if my mother said, Ivan Yoder, I'd know... She's probably not calling me for advice on something. It's probably she found the fake vomit I had put where my sister was going to sit, you know. Uh, but I wonder if Peter recognized this. I wonder if he caught it, being called Simon. Come on, Jesus. My name is Rock. Call me Rock. And Jesus could have looked at him and said, I'll call you Rock when you act like a rock. After the resurrection and Peter's denial, we see that famous dialogue in John chapter 21. Three times Jesus addressed him as Simon. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Three times he asked. Three times Peter affirmed his love. This time, though, he did it in humility. And it's interesting, that's the last time Jesus ever had to call him Simon. 
From then on, it was Peter. In fact, a few chapters later, uh, it was uh, Pentecost and the apostles were filled with the Holy Ghost. It was Peter the rock who stood up and preached the Word of God and 3,000 people came to know Christ. In that way, we're like Peter as well. We're both carnal and we're spiritual. Turn me down just a little bit more. I'm still getting a bad echo in my ear here. Uh, We're both carnal and spiritual. Sometimes we give in to the flesh. Sometimes we give in to the Spirit. I mean, I'm sure you have that same problem as I do. Salvation does not mean that God changes our old nature, even reforms it. Our old nature is just as wicked and godless as it was the day we got saved. But the thing He does is He gives us a new nature. One that is directed toward Him, the Holy Spirit, and He removes the power of the old nature. Romans chapter 6. And now, we still have the ability to sin. We still have that draw of sin like we always did. But we also have an appetite for holiness. That dynamic for sin is still there, but the desire should be affected mightily. Okay, so that brings the practical question. I don't know if you hear something like that. I always kind of follow into the next question. How do I diminish the desire for sin then? How do I grow my life and how do I become more uh, attuned to the new nature? Well, it all comes down, and this is, it sounds oversimplified, but I'm sorry, the Christian life, it may be hard to live, but it's not complicated. It's actually pretty easy. And it all comes down to a really simple process. The nature that will win in your life, the old nature, the one that follows the flesh or the new nature, the one that follows the spirit, the nature that will win in your life all comes down to who you feed. Who are you feeding? Watching the Kardashians more than you read your Bible. Spending more time at the bar than at church. Letting things offend you easily. Complaining more than you praise criticizing more than you encourage. And we could go on and on and on, never darkening the door of a church or only doing it very randomly and and just sparingly. These type of things will lead to carnal living and you'll be asking yourself questions like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Why do I keep doing this? And yet, if you examine your life, you may be feeding that nature far more than you're feeding the new nature. And when you get, if you really want to be successful as a Christian and you want to live for God, then you start feeding that new nature. Uh, Romans 8, 5 through 6, For they that are after the flesh and do mind the things of the flesh, and they that are after the Spirit do mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You got peace today? Which nature is ruling in your life? Peter was a leader. This week I told a friend of mine that I was preaching on Peter today, and this person asked a question that took me back just a little bit. I didn't even think about this before when I was starting to put all this together. What do you think of Peter? Do you like him? I just stop and think about that. You know, I don't really think you look at people in the Gospels. You don't often stop and think about a personal relationship. It leads another question that I asked myself following that. Would I be friends with Peter? If Peter and I were in that group of 12, would I be one of his close friends? And That's a good question. And I think, I think so. There's, I like that Peter... He always wanted to do the right thing, even though he messed up a lot. He, he had a desire, and I can identify with that. He was a man that acted before he thought. I can identify with that, too. I've done that a time or two. Peter is the consummate example 
for all of us. He exhibits our imperfections. He, he displays our failures and our foiled attempts to do the right thing. We want to do the right thing, we just keep messing it up somehow. That's Peter. Simon Peter was a leader of the apostles. Not only because his name was on the list first every time. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, there's a verse that says, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, who is called Simon, uh, the first Simon who is called Peter. Now that word, the first, the original word means first in rank, influence, and honor, chief. Peter demonstrates his leadership in that he acts as a spokesman of the whole group. He's always in the forefront. He's always in the lead. He has a naturally dominant personality. And Jesus put that to great use leading the apostles. In the life of Peter, we see how God builds a leader. Uh, Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. Think about that. No one speaks as often as Peter. No one is spoken to by Jesus as often as Peter. Now here's some interesting facts. No disciple, no disciple is rebuked by Jesus as much as Peter. Yet, no disciple ever rebukes Jesus except Peter. Isn't that amazing? He's, he's the one most rebuked, and then he has the gall to rebuke Jesus one time. None of the others did that. No one confessed Jesus' deity more boldly and publicly than did Peter. And no one denied Jesus more publicly than did Peter. No one is praised higher by Jesus than Peter was. Yet Peter is the only one that Jesus ever turned around and said, get thee behind me, Satan. He, he, was, he walked on water, but he had to be pulled out of the water. And, and I look at that in his life, and it's such a group of contrasts in his life. Doing right, doing good things, but messing up royally. And that's another reason I think I could be friends with Peter. Because I do much the same thing, and maybe you do too. We try to do the right thing, we work at it, and we, we uh, take the, some of the risks that Peter did, and yet uh, there's things sometimes I do that, uh, if they're right, I'm grateful, and there's some things that I do that are very wrong, and it fills me with regret and shame. Paul, in the Bible, in Romans chapter 7, he's, he basically said the same thing. He says, hey, my life is full of contrast too. He said this, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Oh, thank you, Paul. <laughs> I'm not the only one. You aren't either. Paul says, my life is full of those contrasts. Yet, the wonderful thing about Peter, in the midst of all of these contrasts and mess-ups and failures and setbacks, he still made a tremendous impact. He still affected millions of people, still is doing so today. Jesus took a man with a reckless, with a petulant personality and shaped him into a rock-like leader. He was the greatest preacher of the apostles. He was the dominant figure in Acts chapters 1 through 12, which is the beginning, the birth of the early church. In other words, he made a great impact despite his contrasts. And dear friend, I want to tell you, so can you. And so will you if you just let him. Talking about a leader, question for you. Are leaders born or made? I read a lot of leadership books. And that's a question that's answered differently in many different books. Are leaders born or made? Sometimes, have you ever 
been in a situation where uh, parents, uh, they have a disobedient child. Um, okay, they have a brat, and he's just running around just causing all kinds of terror, screaming and bo- breaking things. And, and then they'll say something like, yes, he's just a natural-born leader. He's a natural-born criminal is what he is. But sometimes people look at that, oh, he's just a leader. Now, I do believe there can be tendencies in a person to make them a leader, but it also must be properly shaped. Peter was a leader who made a huge impact. And I want to look at three key elements in Peter's life that gave him the impact that he had, that we can also do in our life. Number one, this is interesting about Peter. Never really noticed this before, but it's pretty fascinating. Peter had curiosity and a lot of it. When you're looking to make an impact, you will or should ask a lot of questions. Curiosity is crucial to making an impact. People are all too happy to remain ignorant about what they don't understand, to be content about what they have not considered, to be comfortable living with problems that they don't understand. But leaders or impactors need to have an insatiable curiosity. They need to be people who are hungry to find answers and purpose in things. In the Gospels, Peter asks more questions than all the other 11 combined. I find that interesting. It was Peter who asked Jesus to explain his difficult words in Matthew 15 and Luke 12. It was Peter who asked, how often do I need to forgive in Matthew chapter 18? It was Peter who asked, uh, what would we get? We've left everything and followed you in Matthew 19. It was Peter who asked about the withered fig tree. All of them were wondering, but it was Peter who spoke up and asked about it in Mark, Mark chapter 11. It was Peter who asked Jesus about what the future would hold for them in John 21, 21. He always wanted to understand better. And if you really want to make an impact, you will too. You'll have an insatiable curiosity. The fellow who sang for us today, I'm going to use one of his quotes. He said I would use him because we were talking about it, and he made a statement. I said, that's good. I'm going to steal it. But then I had a better thought, and I said, I'll attribute it to you. Arrogance is the antithesis of learning. When we get arrogant, when we think we have all the answers, we're not going to seek any, are we? Because we have them all. Arrogance is the antithesis of learning. Peter had curiosity. Secondly, he had initiative. To make a maximum impact, you need drive and ambition. You need to be a self-starter. There's an old Chinese proverb. Man stand for a long time with mouth open before roast duck fly in. Apply that to your life. If you want things to happen in your life, make them happen. Do something about it. Have some initiative. Peter not only asked questions, but he was usually the first one to answer questions too. That were given. Sometimes it made him look like the fool, but he did it anyway. Yeah, I, want you to, uh, I want to take you to one of Peter's most famous declarations. If you want to turn there, you can. It's in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus took all his disciples and they came to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, it really helps us to understand uh, the gravity of this scene if we understand what Caesarea Philippi was all about. For years, this was a place where they, uh, they had used this place to worship pagan idols. It was a beautiful, picturesque place. It had a giant rock face which exposed Mount Hermon, and in that rock face there is a deep cave, and this cave is where they would bring the gifts and sacrifices for their gods. There were four ledges carved out of the rock at Caesarea Philippi, and on those ledges they put images of their false gods. 
in Jesus' time, a person would have found a statue to the god Pan in every one of these ledges. Pan was, one, was the shepherd's god of fertility. But not long before Jesus was born, Herod the Great and his son Philip began converting these, uh, in this, this area into temples to worship the emperor Caesar, hence Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea for Caesar and Philippi for Herod's son Philip. It was in this place... And the scene in front of a place of pagan worship with false gods looming around them. So that's the scene. This is where they're at. When Jesus asks a question, verse 13, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, at that time, there were all kinds of prevailing opinions floating around on Twitter. And people thought all kinds of things. And in fact, the disciples answered, well, some think you're Elijah, some think that you're Jeremiah, some John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked the big question. And friend, this is the question that really matters. It doesn't matter so much what men say. Here's the question. Whom say ye that I am? Because that's the important thing. There are still a lot of opinions about who Jesus is. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Jesus Christ was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev said Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. Adolf Hitler said about Jesus, how terrific was his fight for the world, how Jesus at last rose in his might and seized the scourge to drive out of the temple the brood of vipers and adders. It's interesting to me how people will appropriate Jesus with their own life and their own belief system. Jesus Christ does not conform to who we are. We conform to who He is. And when you take Jesus Christ and start making Him what you want Him to be, there's going to be big problems. But lots of opinions still abound. But the question that Jesus asked that is still the most important question in your life, whom say ye that I am? What will you do with Christ? And it was Peter who boldly spoke out above the rest and he gave that great confession in the New Testament when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whew, imagine that in the view of where they're at. False gods looming everywhere. And then Jesus followed it up with this, then thou, uh, That thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There it is, again, the only place in the entire Gospel of Matthew that Jesus called him Peter. He's called him Simon, he's called him Satan, but he hadn't called him Peter in the Gospel of Matthew till right here. Again, I remind you, when you act like a rock, I'll call you a rock. And Peter sure did here. Then the third element about Peter I want to show you is uh, in how to have an impact Peter had involvement. Uh, true impactors are always in the middle of the action. They do not sit in the background. They don't tell others what to do while they live a life of comfort. And can I tell you today that you're, the only way you will impact others is if you have involvement. One philosopher put it this way, if you do ordinary things with absolute involvement, you will become extraordinary. We like to avoid danger in our lives. And when it comes to doing the right thing, we like to avoid risk. I heard the story of a man, this is obviously just a story, I don't believe this is how it happens, but a man came to St. Peter at the pearly gates of heaven. And uh, Peter asked him, have you ever done anything of any particular merit? 
And the man said, well, once I came on a group of a gang of bikers who were threatening a young woman. I approached the biggest and meanest tattooed biker of all of them, smacked him in the head, kicked over his bike, ripped out his nose ring, threw it on the ground, and said, now leave her alone. Peter's like, wow, that's amazing. So when did this happen? He says, about five minutes ago. Uh, when it comes to serving others, we like to avoid risk. But can I tell you, friend, that if we're going to make an impact in a lost and dying world, we've got to be willing to help people who are messy, people who have needs, the marginalized of society. We want to be, sometimes in the Christian life, we've got to get our hands dirty if we're going to serve God and have the impact we should. But I, I think of that night, we're talking about risk, I think of that night uh, when they were out on the water and uh, there was a storm and the disciples were just desperately trying not to die. And in the middle of the night, they see a figure out on the water that the first they think is a ghost, they think is a spirit, and they were all afraid. But they found that Jesus was the one walking toward them on the water. And can I ask you today, who out of the disciples jumped out of the boat? It was Peter. Uh, all the other disciples were afraid and just trying to stay safe. And, and there he sees Jesus. He must have thought, there's Jesus. I'm here. I've got to get where the action is. And that's where he wanted to go. Oh, I love this about Peter. The other disciples wondered if they were seeing a ghost. But Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come to thee on the water. Before anyone knew it, Peter was out of the boat. And he's walking on the water to Jesus. Peter, the only human being in the world who ever walked on water. And here he is, walking out on the water to Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. You might say, preacher, but he sank. Yes, he did sink. But can I tell you what my response is? He also walked on the water. And here's what we do in the Christian life. We are so afraid of sinking, we never get out of the boat. And can I tell you, sinking is not the end of the world. Because Jesus reached down and pulled him back up again. And he went on to continue to make an impact. And still today, he stands as the only man who's ever walked on water. Oh, listen today, friend. I know that serving God sometimes can be a scary adventure. Sometimes it seems uh, fearsome to put yourself out there. We got VBS coming up, and maybe you're thinking, I'd like to get involved, but man, I don't want to mess anything up. I don't want to sink. Get out of the boat. That's what Peter did. You want to make an impact? Be involved. Don't only, don't only be a spectator. Be a participator. And that'll be a help to you. I like this about Peter. Peter, I like this too. Uh, Jesus lifted him back up again. This is a part we often miss. The Bible says uh, in that passage, and when they were come again into the ship. So here's how we picture it. That here's the boat. By the way, nice piano donated to us this week. Amen? Sorry, squirrel. Um, so here's the boat. And, and here's Jesus out there. I think sometimes we have this picture that Peter stepped out and, and he took maybe just this far from the boat and he started to sink. I don't think so, because Jesus was far enough away for them not to recognize him. Jesus was far enough away so that Peter said, hey, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus did bid him, and so he gets out. I happen to believe that there was some distance that Peter walked on the water until he came to Jesus, and then he started to sink. And what did Jesus do? He picked him back up again. And then what did they do? The Bible says they walked back to the ship together. You will fail. You will sink. You're going to mess up. But guess what happens then? 
He'll pick you back up, and then you're back on walking on the water again. Oh, friend, listen, let me tell you. If you want to make an impact, and be like Peter. Be like Peter. He messed up. He said dumb things. He, he stuck his foot in his mouth. But he just kept on serving. And he reached heights that no other apostle did. He walked on water. He preached at Pentecost. He was, a, he was a mighty man because he just gave, Lord, I'm a mess. I'm a hot mess. But here I am. I'm all yours. And you see what God can do with you when you say that. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm guessing here today we're talking to some Peters. I don't know about you, but all through putting these thoughts down, I identified with Peter on almost every step. I mess up too. I say the wrong things too. But I, I hope that doesn't make you quit. Because all those failures, they happened before he walked on water. If he could have, if he would have quit because he said dumb things or made mistakes, he'd have never walked on water. He just kept on going. I don't know where you are in your Christian life today, friend, but I encourage you, let God have you. Just turn yourself over wholly and completely to him. Would you stand along with me? Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. She's going to begin to play. Altar is open. If God spoke to your heart today, oh, friends, we need some Peters. We need some Peters to come and say, hey, Lord, I'm a mess, but I'm your mess. Use me. If that's you, would you respond?